Well, it's nice to be with you again in Moody'sburn, and uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter five, Luke five, and we'll read the first eleven verses. Luke five verses one to eleven. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Just a prayer together. Father, we ask that in the stillness of these next few moments as we think about your word and what it means for us and as we think a little bit about the challenge of it and how it relates to our lives in the 21st century, we pray that you will minister to us in the way that only you can. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last time I was here, I committed myself to speak on uh, the life of Peter for a few uh, visits at least. I kind of promised that any time I came, I would speak on the life of Peter. So, um, last time that I was here, we looked at how he met Jesus. Um, We thought a little bit about how his brother... Um, Andrew brought him to Jesus and that that was a great story wasn't it thinking a little bit about um, having a family member that cares enough about you to bring you to Jesus and if you've got a family member like that who has dragged you to church this morning uh, you don't know what a treasure you have because you've got someone who cares deeply about your soul and cares deeply about you as a person and wants you um, to meet the Jesus that they have met and Peter had that in his brother Andrew, actually, what what is uh, what is what is even greater than having someone to drag you to church is is to be that person in your family who cares deeply about others and wants to somehow and at some point patiently, prayerfully wants to 
introduce you or introduce your family to Jesus. I think that's a great thing, and I hope that you're like that in, in your family. You remember when Peter actually, or Simon as he was called then, came to Jesus, Jesus were told, just looked at him, just looked at him, and said to him, You are Simon, son of Jonah, or Jonas, but you will be called Cephas or Peter. And in that moment, Jesus was predicting the change that he wanted to bring about in, in Peter's life. He, he wanted him, because uh, Jonas means dove, and if you're a young dove or the son of Jonas, it means you're a young dove. And a great picture of Simon at that point in his life, fluttering around, bouncing around, hadn't any real sense of direction, going here, going there. And, and Jesus turns to him and says, you are Simon, son of Jonas, but I want to make you into Cephas. I'm going to make you into a rock of a man. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus transformed this boisterous, impulsive, the man whose mouth was in gear before his brain, the cogs of his brain were starting to fully work. Jesus changed him into a man that the early church could lean upon in in many ways. And you read the letters that he wrote at the end of the New Testament, you see that that he becomes this pillar of the church. This this man that, that brought stability and strength to the church, not to mention some of the amazing things that he did not least preaching that great sermon on the day of Pentecost but it just reminded us didn't it that Jesus wants to change us he doesn't want us just to stay as we are he wants to mould us and make us and shape us into the people that he wants us to become and the danger for some of us is that we become that we are saved and stuck and we're not growing and we're not pressing on um, in our relationship with Jesus anyway that's what Jesus said to Peter um A fair amount of time had lapsed between that incident and this incident that I want to draw your focus to this morning. And I was tempted to jump over this and just move on to uh, Peter walking on the water. But I think this is important to stop here for a few minutes and and camp on this um, this morning. And I have no idea why, but... uh, the Lord in his providence has caused us to land here this morning, but he knows. A significant period of time had lapsed. A number of things had happened since Peter had met Jesus. For instance, John had baptized Peter in the River Jordan. Um, Jesus had moved down to Capernaum. He had gone to uh, Cana in Galilee and he had turned the water into wine at that wedding feast. He had moved down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers. Uh, He seems to have made a visit to Jerusalem where he had cleansed the temple, had a conversation with a man called Nicodemus about being born again. Um, And then he travelled back up to Capernaum, um, making his way through Samaria, meeting the woman at the well. You know that story in John 4. So a number of things had happened. But here he is back in Capernaum or around the top of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret and, and it's, it's here at the top of the Sea of Gennesaret that he bumps into Peter again mending his nets having just spent the night fishing and um, it's, I think it's, it, 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 it's uh, interesting that Jesus wants to call Peter to a new level of commitment He wants Peter to leave his fishing nets and his fishing boat behind 
And he wants them from this moment in Luke chapter 5 onwards to be done with that. And he wants them to step out in faith and become a full-time disciple. Just following Jesus, learning from Jesus, preparing for a life of ministry after Jesus returns to heaven. So that's what's going on here in in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is calling Peter to a new level of commitment. And I, I wonder if Jesus is calling you to a new level of commitment in, in your Christian life. Maybe personally, just you know that you sense that God is drawing you, asking you to commit to something, asking you to get involved in something, asking you to take the next step. Maybe, just maybe, he even wants you to uh, think about leaving your fishing boat and fishing nets and stepping out on an adventure of faith with him, uh, the adventure of service. I I have no idea uh, what God is doing in your lives, but you know what God is saying to you. And I'm pretty sure of this, God is calling all of us to the next level of commitment. Whatever that might involve for each of us as individuals, there's no doubt that that he is calling us to take the next step. And that's what's happening here. Well, I want to try and break this little section down into three uh, areas that we'll just spend a few minutes on. I want you first of all to think about the boat that became a pulpit. Then I want you to think about the nets that were filled with fish. And then thirdly, I want you to think with me about the fisherman that quit his job. So those are the three areas. The boat that became a pulpit, the net that was filled with fish, and the fisherman that quit his job. So, first of all, the boat that became a pulpit. A couple of things about that. First of all, um, just the scene and the setting and and the whole pulpit thing itself. Um, Peter and his brother Andrew, along with James and John, had been fishing all night. And it appears, at least, that Peter and Andrew, although they had been fishing all night, they had caught nothing. And now they're on the shore um, washing their nets. They must have been fairly tired and weary. Uh, It was a tough job being a fisherman, especially if they were fishing with drag nets. They would throw out these huge drag nets behind their boat in a huge semicircle around 100 feet in length. And then they would pull them along the lake and then they would haul them in with their bare hands. And and then when they had them hauled in and any fish that might have been in them emptied into the boat, out they went again. So, I mean, they must have had muscles on their shoulders, on the backs of their necks like nobody's business. Arnold Schwarzenegger wouldn't have had a look in. It was a tough job and these men must have been fairly weary and fairly tired. They'd come to the shore, they'd uh, had a little breakfast and here they are washing their nets. And at some point during the course of the morning, uh, Jesus arrives with a huge crowd of people following him. And he begins to talk to the crowds and the crowds begin to press in around him. Uh, So much so that he has to get into one of these little boats and he has to push out from the shore. And it's so interesting that he gets into Peter's boat, not, not James and John's boat, but he gets into Peter's boat and he pushes out from the shore and he begins to speak to the crowd and of course it was brilliant because the water would carry his voice, no PA system required and uh, nobody crushing in on him so he could speak freely to everyone that was standing on the shoreline. Just absolutely um, a brilliant strategy. But I wonder as I look at this incident if there was a little bit more to it from Peter's perspective. 
Because uh, I, I wonder if, if Peter was full of a sense of inadequacy. He strikes me as the kind of person that would have been feeling very inadequate. I don't think that he dreamed that he could ever become one of Jesus' twelve disciples. One of Jesus' envoys, the the envoy of this great, a representative of this great, great teacher. I mean, he'd never been to rabbinical school. He'd never studied with the rabbis. He hadn't sat at the feet of Gamaliel like the Apostle Paul. He was just an ordinary, ordinary fisherman. And I wonder if Jesus is making this statement to Peter. Peter, uh, I, I can use your fishing boat. Did you know that, Peter? I can use something so ordinary as a fishing boat to serve my purposes. I can use all kinds of things, Peter. And he will go on to demonstrate that. I can use Matthew's pen, the tax collector, who's good at recording facts. I'll use him one day to write a gospel. I can use a man's cult to fulfill Old Testament messianic promises as I ride into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey. I can use a man's room to commemorate the Passover and institute the Lord's Supper. I can use another man's tomb. I'll not need it for long, just a couple of days, but, and he can have it back again. But I, I can use all kinds of things. and I can use your boat, Peter, and... Not only can I use your ordinary fishing boat to serve my purposes, Peter, maybe I can use you too. Maybe I can use you too in ways that you never thought possible. And I know that you feel that you're just ordinary, ordinary, ordinary. I know that you feel that you're just a fisherman. But Peter, I can use you as a fisherman in ways that you never thought possible. Jesus can use us. And everything that we have to serve his purposes, that's the truth. Like you're, you're looking at the, most, at, at the most unsuspecting person to be involved in Christian work in the world. There are, a, there are a billion people who are way up the queue before me to be involved in this kind of work. And I, I can tell you, if, if Jesus can use someone like me, he can use you. In this community, but maybe even further afield than this community, Jesus can use you. And there's a work for Jesus that only you can do. There's a work that, for Jesus that only Peter can do. And there's a work for Jesus that only you can do. The second thing is not just the pulpit. I think he's inching towards showing Peter, I can use your boat. Actually, I can use you, Peter. The second thing that I want you to think about is, is the preacher as we, as we think about this boat that becomes a pulpit. A little bit about the preacher. We're not really told what Jesus said in, in this chapter. We're not really told what his message is. But it's interesting, in Matthew's um, record of this event, just right before it, in Matthew chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, he tells us and that Jesus um, began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course Matthew uses kingdom instead of God. In, in the other gospel accounts it would be repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But Matthew is a Jew and he's writing for Jews and he doesn't like using the word God. And so he uses the word kingdom. And then it goes on to tell us that Jesus went to the seaside and got into the boat and preached to the crowd. So, so that gives us a little window, doesn't it, into what Jesus was preaching. He was, his message was basically repent. Uh, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn away from the wrong stuff that you're doing. Turn away from that and, and surrender to God's kingship. And people make all kinds of mysterious statements about the kingdom. It's very simple. God is a great king. And he wants you to surrender to his lordship and his kingship in your life. And, and he wants you to crown him king of your life. And he wants you to become one of the kingdom of heaven's citizens. Where you're marching to the beat of a different drum and you're serving a different king. And your life is governed by different laws. The laws of the king. That's what the kingdom's all about. It's about God building a kingdom where hearts surrender to him. So his kingdom exists here in Moody's world. Wherever people surrender to his kingship, his kingdom exists. And you can't see it. Often, but it exists because wherever people, it's not a, it's not a physical, it's not a spatial thing, it's a spiritual thing. Wherever people in their hearts have come to make God their king, then his kingdom exists there. And uh, Jesus is preaching to the crowds and he's, he's telling them that they need to make God their king. And they need to surrender to his kingship. And... I mean, if, if, if you follow on in Matthew's account of this, you come to the Sermon on the Mount. That's the next chapter, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. That gives you a little flavour of the teaching and preaching of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are sorry about the fact that they're broken. And, and, and uh, blessed are those who are meek. Who know that they've got nothing to be proud about. Who are not bombastic and arrogant. Who know that they're absolutely nothing. Blessed are the me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the people that long to be different. Who long to be changed. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus was preaching on the boat. As he preached to the crowds on Peter's boat. Now, I just want you to think about this for a few minutes. If you will. I think Peter, as he sits and listens to the preaching of Jesus, he must have realized, ah, this is some message. This is a message that needs to be proclaimed. As he sat and listened to Jesus preaching from his boat, he must have sensed, there should be more than one voice giving voice to this message. There should be a hundred voices giving voice to this message. This is a fantastic message. This is a life-changing message. This could revolutionize people's lives. We, we should have more people giving voice to this message. I, I think Jesus is building up to the point where he's going to say, Yeah, and you are the man that needs to give voice to this message. So come and follow me. The preacher. And I, I just want to say to you that this is a great message. The gospel. That God can forgive people who are estranged from him. And can welcome them into his family. And they can enjoy a relationship with him. And that they don't have to spend their entire lives from God. They can know God in a personal way. 
enjoy a relationship with him. That's a great message. But Jesus, at great cost to himself, has made a way back to God. And it deserves to be proclaimed in Moodyspern. And throughout Scotland, I was at a conference yesterday in Charlotte Chapel and they were just making the point that 98% of the people living in Edinburgh are not Christians. 98% of the people living in Edinburgh are not Christians. They reckon somewhere in the region of 1% of the people that live in Scotland are now attending an evangelical church. That's, that's grim. 99% of the Scottish population are without God and without hope. We have a great message, but we need people to give us, we need people to give voice to the message. And you have a part to play in that. I don't know what part it is. Maybe it is leaving your fishing boat and fishing nets and stepping out full time to give voice to this message. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just to be involved in the work of this church as as it tries to reach out to the people living all around here that don't know God and are without hope. But somehow we need to give voice to this great, great message. The second thing is the net that was filled with fish. So Jesus is preaching um, from Peter's boat. And then secondly then the net that was filled with fish. A couple of things. First of all, the request. Um, The request. When you sit down and think about the request that Jesus makes to Peter, when he had finished speaking to the crowd, he turned to Peter and said, push out into the deep water and and let down your nets for a catch. Now, when you think about that request, it's not nearly as straightforward as you might think. Because Jesus is asking a man who'd been fishing all night to load, reload his 1,000 pound fishing net back into his boat, push out into the waters, deeper waters, and throw it out again. Now, it's, it's, it's morning time, the sun is at its strongest. You don't fish by the shoreline when the sun is at its strongest. You fish in the darkness, in the deep, deep waters in the middle of the lake. And they'd been trying that all night and had caught nothing. Added to that is the fact that the person who is asking Peter to do this is not a fisherman. The person who is asking Peter to do this is a carpenter turned preacher. I mean, Jesus may be an incredible person. He may be able to preach great sermons. He may be able to perform miracles. But when it comes to fishing... Peter is the expert. I mean, he's he's been a fisherman all his days. He knows everything about fishing. And a carpenter turned rabbi is now telling him how to fish. Peter must have felt, and you sense it in his response, don't you? Master, I've been fishing all night and caught nothing. But because you ask, I'm going to do this. Because you have asked me, I will do it. You sense a little bit of resistance, don't you? You you sense, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Isn't this going to make a bit of a fool of you and of me? And wouldn't we be better just to leave this and say thank you for the use of the boat and let's move on? But he does exactly what Jesus asks him to do, even though it makes no sense to him whatsoever. He does exactly what Jesus asks him to do. We're not good at that. Doing the things that Jesus asks us to do. We want to do our thing and we want to do our thing our way. And some of us are here and we know in our hearts that Jesus is asking us to do something. And we fool around with it and we play around with it and 
And we need to just get on with what it is that Jesus wants us to do. I often tell the story of a young man. I read uh, of his advertisement in the newspaper. He was looking for work and this was how the advertisement went. Young man looks seeking work. Will go anywhere. Will do anything. And that's the kind of advertisement we should give to God. Will go anywhere. Will do anything for you. It's like Alexander the Great... He arrived at the brink of, at the walls of a great city and the king looking out over the walls said, why should we surrender to you? And Alexander snapped his fingers and uh, some of his men began to march straight to a steep cliff and straight over plummeting to their death. And Alexander looked up at the king and said, that's why you should surrender to me. These, there is nothing these men will not do for me. And there is a sense in which we ought to be like that for Jesus. Lord, this makes no sense to me. I'm, I'm the expert fisherman. This is complete nonsense to me. Uh, fishing in the morning, by the shore, in the bright sun. But because you've asked me, I'm going to do it. If this is what you want me to do, I will do it. And off we go and do it. The second thing about the request is the result. The result is just staggering. Two boats... Seven and a half feet wide, 27 feet long, both filled to the gunnels with fish. Somewhere in the region of three ton of fish in each little fishing boat. Incredible result. And uh, Peter must have felt somewhat rebuked. Um, I think two things about that. I think it gives Peter a greater appreciation of Christ. He turns to Jesus and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord, he says. And he uses the word Lord. And it's interesting that in the Greek New Testament, the word Lord sometimes is used for important people. Sometimes it's used of Roman officials. But for the most part in the New Testament, it's actually a a title that is given to God. And you just get a sense that Peter in this incident has this deep awareness that he's in the presence, not just of an ordinary man, but he's in the presence of Christ who is the second member of the Trinity. He he somehow senses that this is a little bit different and it gives him a greater appreciation for Jesus. He needs that. He needs to know who Jesus is. He is never going to be driven to tell other people about Jesus unless he is convinced himself that Jesus is a great, great treasure worth discovering. If you don't believe that, if that's not rooted into your DNA, you will never be driven to tell other people about Jesus. It's when you see that Jesus is amazing, wonderful, incredible. And it's then that you're driven to tell other people about this person that you've discovered, that you've met, that's revolutionized your life. It gives him a greater appreciation of Jesus. And it gives him a lower estimation of himself because he says to Jesus, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful, sinful man. He senses that he is in the presence of God. And as he senses he's in the presence of God, it gives him an awareness, an acute awareness of his own weakness and his own sinfulness and his own brokenness. And he says to the Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. Now I'm going to say this to you. I think Peter is at his greatest at this moment. Because if he had gone off into ministry half-cocked, thinking he was the the greatest thing that ever lived, he would have fallen flat on his spiritual face. 
It's only when we see our own weakness that we will cry out to Christ to experience his strength. Isn't that what Second Corinthians is all about? Strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. When we feel our own nothingness and our own uselessness, and Lord, I can't do this, that we actually get to a place where maybe, just maybe, God could use us. And, and, and maybe we could begin to experience His strength at work in our weakness as we begin to give ourselves to this task. It gives Him a lower estimation of Himself. And you see that so often in the lives of so many of the Lord's people. Isaiah, remember Isaiah, Isaiah 6? Woe is me, for I am undone. This is the moment that he's been thrust into prophetic ministry. And what's his cry? I am sinful to the core. He sees his own nothingness. And I long for people that see how useless they are. And see how much they are just a nothing. Because it's then that God can begin to use them. Maybe you're here and that's a little bit of a challenge because the excuse that you've been hiding behind is I'm nothing, how could I ever step out and work like that? I'm useless. You're the very kind of person God's looking for. Here's the last thing and with this I'll be finished. The fisherman that quit his job. Luke tells us that Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid from now on you will fish for men. Mark 1.17 tells us that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So a couple of things about that. First of all, the task. I want you to fish for men. Up to this point, Peter has been toing and froing from his family business and uh, going out to hear Jesus there's been a fair bit of toing and froing up to this point in his life he already met Jesus he already knows Jesus but he's been toing and froing and Jesus says to him come and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men so leave the fishing boats and the fishing nets and come and follow me um Now I've read some amazing things about this verse and some have gone to great lengths to draw out the analogy between fishing and soul winning and undoubtedly there are analogies. You need skill, you need patience to both fish for fish and fish for souls. I I understand that. Um, But I'm not sure that that's what Jesus wants us to get from this passage. I think it's just fairly straightforward. God has got fish out there in the sea of the world and he wants them caught. And he wants us to get involved in the work of catching. I think it's just as simple as that. And somehow he wants us to put our shoulder to the wheel and to get involved. A third of the world's population is still unreached. I was reading just recently that about Turkey um, and and they've now uh, changed a few laws that I was reading about recently 75 million people living in Turkey less than 4,000 Christians there are 10 Muslims in France for one every one evangelical Christian this world is a needy place if ever there was a need for people that would fish for men fish for souls bring people into the kingdom and here in Scotland uh, we desperately, desperately, we are, we have dripped, we have now dropped into the unreached people groups of the world if, if tier fund stats are right. We have now dropped into one of the unreached people groups of the world. If we, if, if 1% of the Scottish population is now evangelical Christian, we're in a dire state. 
and we desperately need people to fish for souls. The, the, the last thing is this. I, I remember reading Jim Elliot's uh, journal, and in it he said, of course, called to reach the, the Auka Indians, and I forget the more recent name that they've been given, but on the banks of the Kareri River in Ecuador, uh, he was speared to death. And he wrote in this journal, uh, somewhere along the line, I think it was as a younger man, he says, people are waiting for the call. And what they actually need is a good kick. <laughs> I thought it was just brilliant. People need a good kick uh, in, in, into action. Anyway, let's look finally at the training that Jesus promised. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. I think that's important. I wasn't just going to kick them out into Christian work. They would spend the best part of three years with him. At least two years they would spend with him. Uh, following him, watching him, listening to him. They would learn how to encapsulate the gospel as they listened to his sermons. They would learn how to communicate the gospel, how to verbalize the gospel. As they watched him, listened to him, as they followed and traveled with him. They would learn something about being gracious with people that are broken and wounded and hurt and destroyed and abused as they watched him sit beside the woman at the well who had had five husbands and now had a live-in lover and whose life was full of broken dreams and as they watched Jesus sit and talk to her as if she really mattered to him they would learn something about the importance of grace in ministry Uh, They would learn so much from Jesus. They would learn from his prayerfulness as he spends the night, the whole night praying before big decisions. They would learn that prayer is a vital part of the work. Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you, I'll make you into a fisher of men. And training is important, isn't it? And uh, Jesus is promising to train them, not just to send them out, but to train them. And uh, I have the great privilege of being involved in in training people for Christian work in in the job that I do as a Bible college principal. And uh, it's nice to see Rebecca here came through our college a few years ago and uh, has been working in England and now back in Glasgow uh, working with a a church. And uh, that's thrilling for me to see. Um, But the truth is, I think that all of us can learn, can't we? All of us can learn. There's, there's lessons in, that all of us need to learn. And, and we can all become more skilled in reaching out with the gospel. And the last thing just for, to notice is in verse 11 we're told that they forsook everything and they follow Jesus. They forsook everything and they follow Jesus. I wonder if Jesus is asking you to do that. To forsake everything. Everything and follow him. Turn your back on fishing boats and fishing nets and give yourself to whatever it is that he is asking you to give yourself to. Well, next time we come back, next time I come back, I think in April at some point, I'll look at uh, Jesus stilling the raging storms um, on the Sea of Galilee. But uh, today I felt it was right to not skip over this passage and to spend a little bit of time on it. So thanks. Graham.